0: Amen. What a glorious day. What a glorious day. You know, there's a story about a child psychologist. Are we on? Are we good? Okay, there's a story about a child psychologist in and in a few of, of his colleagues who wanted to observe how children respond to negative circumstances or situations in their life. So these psychologists, they placed a large amount of, uh, let me just say, in a nice way as we do in Texas. Uh, amount of horse manure in the room. Then they placed the first child in the room with the manure and began to observe how the child responded. And there was no surprise. This first child began to whimper and began to cry because of the room was so smelly and he didn't want to be in there. They put another child in the room. Now, this little guy got a little excited. He started racing around the room. He was digging in the manure with an excitement just, which baffled the psychologist. What is this child doing? A few moments later, uh, uh, after watching this, they asked the young boy, why are you so excited? Here's his reply. With all this manure in the room, there's got to be a pony somewhere in here. <laughs> huh. How you look or how you observe something can make a world of difference in how you behave or how you react, right? Ella Willer Wilcox, she's an American author and poet. She expressed the same idea when she wrote this. One ship sails east, another west, with the self-same winds that blow. It's the set of the sail and not the gale which determines the way they go. And that's so true. Life is like that. What you pay pay attention to, what you focus on in life will determine what kind of decisions that you make in your life. So, as we conclude our series of messages on living a focused life, the Bible gives us great advice in Philippians 4, verse 8. Guys, do we have that? Was I too quick on my intro? (laughs) Philippians 4, 8. If you would, open your Bibles. We handicapped you this morning. You're going to have to open your Bibles unless you have this memorized. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right... Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything, excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Amen? You may be seated. We should all commit that verse to memory, realizing that so many people today are doing just the exact opposite. Turn on the television. Flip the pages of popular magazines, newspapers. And you'll often find glorification to things that are impure, wrong, and untrue. And you'll find it often. People focus so much on the negative that the media seldom features positive news. Have you ever recognized that? Because they're afraid, what? That they will lose their audience. So this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to break down and look at the Apostle Paul and how he focuses on the positive And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. And we'll break these down as we go along. And I'm I'm hoping we'll have those passages as needed up on the screen. If not, hold those Bibles close. As we all should, right? But in Philippians 1, 12 through 26, Paul mentions some extremely negative things that are going on in his life, unpleasant circumstances, unreasonable people, and his uncertain future. But Paul goes on to show that God was able to use those negative things in a positive way in his life. First of all, let's look at these unpleasant things in verses 12 through 14. Paul begins by talking about unpleasant circumstances, No dice, guys, right? Philippians 1, verses 12 through 14. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So Paul begins talking about some unpleasant uh, circumstances in his his life, and he's speaking of uh, many of the times uh, when he was uh, shipwrecked, the times he uh, was nearly beaten to death, times that he was arrested and imprisoned and chained. All this is coming back to remembrance to him, Yet he says, I remember all these trials, and I see that they have all served to advance the gospel. You Notice the word advance in verse 12. The Greek word tra- translated a- a- advance originates from woodcutters who would go before an army, clearing a path through the underbrush so that the army could march forward unrestricted. Paul is saying all these things that have happened to me have resulted in clearing the way for the gospel to be preached more effectively. Look at verse 13 again. Verse 13. As a result, it has come clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Here's a situation 24 hours a day, Paul was chained to Roman soldiers in shifts. Every few hours, a different soldier became a human monitor attached to Paul. Paul saw a wonderful opportunity to tell the soldiers about Jesus. There was no way that these soldiers could leave him or even leave the room. And it worked. In the closing chapter of this entire letter of the book of Philippians... Chapter 4, verse 22, Paul says this All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Amazing. Some soldiers got the message, and the gospel made its way to the household of Caesar, all because Paul was in prison. There's another positive result to this very unpleasant circumstance in his life that he exper- experienced. Look at verse 14. Keep that book open. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Paul is saying, because of my hardships, because of the things that have happened to me, other believers have been encouraged. Other believers have been encouraged. They have seen, he's saying they've seen how God has protected me through the difficult situations, how he's encouraged me, how he's given me a strength beyond my own powers. Reminds me of a story about Bob Benson in his book, See You at the House. And he tells of a good friend who had a severe heart attack and almost died, but was now His friend was on a road to recovery. While visiting his friend, Bob asked, he goes, Bill, how do you feel about your heart attack? And Bill answered, I hate it. It nearly killed me. Well, Bob asked, would you like to have another one? (laughs) Certainly not. Of course not. Would you recommend it for someone else? Absolutely not. And Bob went on and asked Bill, Bill, Now that you're feeling better, do you treasure your life more than ever before? Yes, I do. He goes, you and your wife have always had a solid marriage, but are you closer to each other now than before? He goes, yes. Sure we are. What about your relationship with God? Has that changed since your heart attack? Yes, I feel closer to God Now than I have ever done in my entire life. Then Bob asked, Bill, in the light of all of this, how do you feel about your heart attack now? Wow. God can, can take the most negative things that happen to us in this life and make them positive. If we would but focus on the positive that is there, and it is there, So, what are you chained to this morning? Are you chained to an imperfect body? Are you chained to a declining health? Are you chained chained to a job that has no future to it? Are you chained to, uh, to loneliness, grief, despair? What is it that you're chained to? Are you chained to the past? Maybe you need to stop and ask, how can God use this? Time in my life, these circumstances in my life, and advance his gospel message. Paul did. And then in verses 15 through 18, Paul speaks about unreasonable, oh, thank you, about unreasonable people, 15 through 18. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of the selfish ambition, not not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Amen? And he's talking about unreasonable people. He's saying that there are some people who are envious of what I'm doing, who uh, see themselves as rivals, as competitors in preaching the gospel message. What happens when people become envious of someone else? They usually try to begin to break them down. They point out all the negative things about a person or a group of people, and by doing so, believe they're building themselves up. Many would say, we're all familiar with Billy Graham, right? He had one of the most spotless reputations of our time. Books have been written about his life, his ministry. Many investigative reporters attempted to find anything to criticize this man. They investigated his finances, his marriage, every facet of his life, but really weren't able to find much to condemn him. Before Billy Graham went on crusades, he would often send a staff to verify hotel in advance, hotel accommodations, check on security, make sure safeguards were in place to prevent tabloid media from spreading malicious gossip. He did that often. But despite the precautions, during a crusade in Paris, France, a newspaper headline proclaimed Billy Graham, it stated this, Billy Graham spends the night with a woman other than his wife. You're going to get a kick out of this. They claimed that the hotel registry showed that a woman registered and spent the night with Billy Graham in this hotel room. And they even printed her name, Beverly Shea. (laughs) Now, most who are familiar, I see a few people, you're, you're, you're aging yourself. Now, most of you who are familiar with the ministry of Billy Graham know that Beverly Shea is his so Solist, solist and, and singer, best friend, was George Beverly Shea. <laughs> and in an effort to uh, defame Billy Graham, the tabloids made a huge, huge mistake. Even to this day, even to this day, anyone who is in position of prominence is subject to all kinds of criticism. Always. that's the news. They want to find something, true or not true. Philippians 1, verse 18, is one of the most incredible verses, I believe, in the Bible. Let's look at verse 18 again. But what does it matter? The important thing is that every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And yes, I will continue to rejoice. Whatever the motives is or are, preaching the gospel is an advantage, and God will use them all. There's a story about uh, many of you, or if you're familiar with NBA basketball, uh, one of the great coaches of all times, uh, Coach Pat, uh, Pat Riley of the Lakers. He's considered one of the greatest coaches in NBA history. He once told a story about Magic Johnson, one of the greatest basketball players that ever played the game. Riley said when Johnson was in junior high school, his skills were just way beyond every other student that he was around. He was just that much better than everyone else. He would score 90% of the team's points. The other players, of course, you know, they become unhappy. I mean, they didn't get, they didn't get the ball very much. They didn't get to shoot very much. Um, even the, the, the parents started getting upset. So, Johnson decided to change his role on the team. He would become an enabler, passing the ball to others to make them look good. Magic Johnson played two years in college before he was drafted in the NBA. The Lakers drafted him. A team made up of superstars, very talented players, but they were not consistently winning basketball games because they were all playing for themselves, depending on their own talents. They weren't a team. Pat Riley said that Magic Johnson became the catalyst. He was the the, uh, deciding once again that I am going to make every player on the Lakers look good. So he went to Byron Scott. If any Laker fans are here, you'll know these players of the past. He went to Byron Scott, and he said, I'm going to make you the number one scorer uh, on this team. And by passing more often to Scott, he became the leading scorer of that team that year. Then Johnson went to James Worthy, and he asked him a question. He said, why have you never made the all-star team? I am going to make you an all-star. He started passing the ball to James Worthy, and soon he was an all-star. Made the all-star team quite often. During the same season, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar set a record as the highest score in the NBA history. Before that happened, Magic Johnson had told Jabbar, you can do it. You can break this record. And I want to be the guy that passes you the ball when you make NBA history. So Coach Riley said at the time uh, that that Jabbar was getting close to breaking the record, on that night it appeared that it was just about to happen. Magic Johnson was on the bench at the time. He got up without even asking the coach and put himself in the ball game and passed the ball to Jabbar to make the record-breaking basket. Riley said, if you watch that film and you watch it closely, you'll see Johnson leaping into the arms of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and you'll see tears streaming down his cheeks. Riley went on to say, he's the most unselfish basketball player I have ever seen. And he asked, why do I tell a story like that? Here's the question. If that attitude can happen in basketball, can it also happen in our lives, in the people of God? If we become that unselfish, and our desire is to make other people look good, to encourage each other, to build each other up, isn't that exactly what we're supposed to be doing as Christians? Right? Paul says, the one thing that matters, the one thing that matters is that the gospel is preached. That's what matters. And then everyone wins. We're all on the same team. All on the same team. And for those sitting on the bench, it's easy to complain It's easy to point fingers concerning the game plan or the plays being called. That's easy. Anyone can do that. My advice is to get off the bench and get involved in the game and share the gospel. Encourage, support, assist one another for the greater cause that is beyond you. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Paul did. It wasn't about him. It was always all about Christ. And then verses 19 through 24. Finally, Paul mentions his uncertain future. And let's read these verses, 19 through 24. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for, uh, for my deliverance. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul was facing a trial in Rome, and he he knew if he's found innocent that he would be free to preach even more and even more about Jesus Christ. If he's found guilty... He will be executed. Let's look at verse 20 again. Verse 20 again, Mike, if that's possible. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. Listen to those words. But will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. His only concern was that he would have the courage to stand before his accusers. And by what he said and what he did, that Christ will be exalted and lifted up and put before him. Whether I live or whether I I die, it doesn't matter. All I want to do is exalt Jesus. All I want them to see is Jesus. All I want them to hear is Jesus. That's what our life is to be. Exalting our Lord. Verse 21 is a very familiar verse that you saw up there, for, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you were to write or state that verse, verse 21, and truthfully describe your feelings, your emotions at the time that you write it or you state it, what would you say? For me to live is Is money? And to die is to leave it behind. For me to live, uh, to live is family. And to die is to leave them alone. For me to live is, is pleasure. And to die is to miss all the fun. For me to live is fame. And to die is to quickly be forgotten. For me to live is power and influence. And to die is to become ah oh, Insignificant. Paul is saying, to me, living is the opportunity for Christ. And dying, well, that's even better for Christ. Lee Carter Maynard was a preacher that lived to be 90 years old. And on his deathbed, as his family and his friends gathered around him, they saw the agony, they saw the pain that he was experiencing. But suddenly everything changed. There was a look of peace and and a smile came upon his face. His eyes opened and he lifted his hands up and he said, I see it. I see it. Do you see it? It's so beautiful. And then he passed away. For to me, to live is Christ. Christ. And to die is gain. A heart focused on God. Warren Wiersbe, he wrote a book called A Victorious Christian. It's about a woman named many of you may know, uh, a great woman of the past, Fanny Crosby. She was the author of over 8,000 songs In fact, she wrote so many that she had to write under an assumed name so she'd get more of her songs in the hymn books that are before you. At six weeks of age, Fanny Crosby developed a minor eye eye inflation. So, she had some issues with her eyes. So, they take her to a local doctor for a treatment. However, the doctor who treated her used the wrong medicine, and her eyes uh, all of a sudden became permanently blind because of his carelessness. Interviewed years later, Fanny Crosby said she harbored no bitterness towards this physician. In fact, she said this. If I could meet him now, I would say thank you over and over and over again for making me blind. She felt that her blindness was a gift from God to help her write the songs of praise that flowed from her pen. How could Fanny Crosby, blinded by a tragic failure of a careless doctor, still be filled with such joy and power in her songs? How is that possible? She kept her heart focused on God. She looked up towards God rather than at her disability, her weaknesses, her circumstances. And as with Paul, in Philippians 4, verse 13, Ms. Crosby was convinced that she could do all things through Christ which strengthened her. Amen? Let me close with these words. I remember years and years ago when my first car developed an alignment problem. And I would be driving down the freeway or, or a road, and it would pull hard to the right. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. In fact, you really had to work against the car to move it or keep it in the proper lane. On the other hand, to move to the right lane or make a right turn, all I had to do was just let go of the wheel, and it drove itself. <laughs> it drove itself. Oh, this is great. I hope this is the future. We're getting there. If you were to just let it go, let go of the wheel of your life, where, were, where would your mind and your heart take you? If you were just to let it go, where would it take you? Where would your heart take you? What forces are tugging on you these days in your life? That have taken your attention off Christ and His love for you, His plan for you, His forgiveness, His mercy, His grace. What's keeping your attention off Christ? The church? Has it been relationship problems, health concerns, finances? Complaints, issue with other people, some sin you refuse to see a sin, something from your past that that will not allow you to let go. These are the distractions of our life, right? Any number of sins that move us so far off course that we can't possibly get back on track, that's the bad news. That's the bad news. But the good news is just what Jesus told his disciples. With man it is impossible but not with God for all things are possible with God. All things. For as much as your focus may be away from God he never takes his eyes off of you. Never. For as much As we go to one extreme to the other in our life, the cross is always there at the center of our lives. Always. That cross is always the foundation, the ground that we all meet. And the cross is always the answer to the question then who can be saved? It always has the answer. Because all can be saved. In the miracle of God's mercy, the answer from the cross is this. You, you can be saved. And in the blood of Jesus Christ, you are saved. Amen. So as the praise team comes, I ask you to surrender your life to Jesus. Live a focused life. Don't stray away from the things of God.